1: well
2: hello there and welcome back in happy march happy mayhem happy brackets with everything that is transpiring including in and around the 2023 NCAA tournament that does get underway later on this week with CBS and the what is it now Warner Discovery Network and family of channels uh TNT TBS and True TV what used to be Turner uh, broadcasting they're gonna have full coverage of the 2023 big dance And uh, to that end, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for everything that is going to transpire. And we are glad that you're with us because we're going to do some special March coverage and conversations in and around all of the college basketball. Uh, Again, I'm the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. You found us as part of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast and the podcast feed here Uh, Fantastic stuff that you're going to have each week, not just from me, but from George Hoffman with his Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast on this feed that has kind of a Chicago slant to sports media. George's guest this week and more on this in a couple of moments is Greg Gumbel, uh, Gumbel, the longstanding CBS Emmy Award winning host and play by play man, who is uh, uh, arguably one of the faces of the NCAA tournament on CBS, along with Jim Nance. Uh, For so many years, it was Brent Musburger and Billy Packer. Uh, Now it has been Jim Nance with uh, with other analysts, uh, most recently Bill Raftery and Grant Hill. But uh, Greg Gumbel in the studio for the better part now of over 20 years with Clark Kellogg and also Seth Davis, uh, formerly with Sports Illustrated and now with The Athletic. Those guys, institutions in the studio in and around Selection Sunday, and the NCAA Tournament coverage all the way through the Final Four. You'll hear George talking to Greg Gumbel about the NCAA Tournament, his place in covering it, and a couple of stories as well. Full conversation, part two of their conversation, immediately preceding this podcast on the podcast feed. But we're actually going to play you a couple little uh, clips from George and Greg in that conversation to promote it even further here in a little bit. So stand by. Uh, for that as we rock along also Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen with the announcer schedules podcast they are out every week they talk about who's broadcasting it who's doing what and where nationally TV radio Uh, Mike actually on vacation this week and so I will pinch hit for him or stand in as the sixth man here uh, on the show stand in as a tag team partner to Phil on the announcer schedules podcast that will be out later in the week on this very podcast feed. So again, we thank our friends at lastwordonsports.com for their uh, partnership. lastwordonsportscom slash podcast to find out more there. So much going on uh, with last word on sports, with all sports, with everything that's happening right now with the hockey and NBA seasons, uh, both winding down baseball about to start up. You've got golf going on NASCAR going on. And of course, the madness and the mayhem of March, not to mention NFL free agency, NFL draft that's coming up. It's happening in and around sports, last word on sports.com. And, of course, we're affiliated at last on slash podcast. All right, so much to get to, including a special anniversary. As I uh, wrap around uh, coverage uh, here uh, this week on Last Word on Sports Media, I am struck by the fact that it's been 15 years since I was on the national radio call of the SEC tournament 2008 men's basketball at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Now, while that on the face, on the surface, may not ring a bell, what if I say to you, tornado basketball game? That probably does. That year in March of 2008, for the first time in 100 years, A tornado came through downtown Atlanta. Now, fortunately, the Georgia Dome, where we were stationed broadcasting that SEC tournament, eventually won in dramatic fashion elsewhere besides the Georgia Dome by the Georgia Bulldogs of all teams. With a losing record, the last place team in the league won the tournament. That tournament uh, was able to exist and able to uh, move forward because the Georgia Dome did not take a direct hit from that tornado. That tornado only skipped by hitting a part of the roof of the Georgia Dome and outside beside the building. Obviously, had it hit the building with more than 20,000 people in attendance on that Friday night, March the 14th, 2008, I I might not be sitting here. The others that were involved on the broadcast that you're going to hear from on this podcast might not be sitting here, as well as thousands of others that could have been seriously injured or killed. So luckily, it was not a direct hit that night, not the devastation that we see tornadoes do, especially in the Southeast, the Midwest, the Plain States, but especially the Southeast that has tornadic activity. Uh, And you see devastation of of homes wiped out, buildings wiped out, uh, thousands of of displaced people from their neighborhoods, a serious injury, death. We didn't have that. We didn't have the direct hit coming right at uh, uh, at the Georgia Dome that night. But to that end, here in just a little bit on this last World on Sports Media podcast, I am going to bring up uh, on board the broadcasters, uh that are still living here in this uh instance 15 years later there is one broadcaster that has since passed away in jack crystal the mississippi state broadcaster that night alabama and mississippi state were playing a game that eventually went into overtime uh dramatically and you're going to hear our announcers talk about that when all of this madness this weather mayhem happened in the middle of march madness at the sec tournament quarterfinal between alabama and mississippi state chris stewart the Crimson Tide Sports Network broadcaster, he was on the air that night with Brian Passink, who is still, he is color commentator to this day in Alabama right now, number one ranked, the number one seeded in the SEC and now into the NCAA tournament, getting ready to battle for their final four lives coming up later this week. So Chris was on the call that night, as was also Tim Brando on the television call with Joe Dean Jr. on the SEC a television broadcast. From Raycom and Jefferson Pilot Sports regionally on their network, they were broadcasting on TV. So you'll hear from Tim Brando as part of that. And then you'll also hear from the guys that you're going to hear on the highlight clips that I'm about to play here, the long form highlights of the tornado striking the Georgia Dome. And that's Dick Gabriel, our producer, and Mark Wise, my analyst. Uh, Dick and Mark and I are forever bonded for having been on the air that night for the better part of over an hour. Uh, We broadcasted the overtime and and the fill of everything that went on uh, until the game finally resumed between Mississippi state and Alabama in the overtime with two minutes remaining. As it turns out, the upcoming Kentucky Georgia game was not played that night. Uh, It it had been decided that it was not going to be played in the Georgia dome for safety reasons. And the fact that there was more severe weather in the area. And so instead that game was played the next day in Atlanta, uh, in downtown Atlanta at Georgia Tech and their basketball arena, what is now McCamish Pavilion, the former Alexander Memorial Coliseum. So we get into all of that with Dick and uh, with Mark Wise and with Tim Brando and with Chris Stewart in a round table, uh here in a little bit. By the way, thank you for finding me here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast, however you've done so. Make sure you're following or subscribing through Last Word on Sports uh, media, uh search for that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Make sure you're following and subscribing. And you can also find us as well, word on sports.com slash podcast, uh, as we come your way uh for great content, great content, unique content like this. It's a special conversation that you're going to hear about that night, about that special event, interviews, insight, analysis on everything going on in sports media nationally, uh, newsmakers uh interviews, uh ratings, who's doing it well, et cetera. You'll find all of that. Right here. Uh, and we will, a little bit later on the program, talk about more than just college basketball. Some love it or leave it around the ratings for this weekend. And the look ahead, obviously, to what is going to transpire uh, here over the next couple of weeks with the start-up to the Major League Baseball season. Uh, golf just completed its Players' Championship. Before we know it, though, the Masters will be here in about four weeks. They're going to play at Augusta in the first major uh, of the season. The uh, The Players' is the unofficial fifth major the pga tours event uh so we've got golf we've got the hockey playoffs coming the basketball playoffs coming we're going to be all over it on the last word on sports media podcast uh but now back to this game and back to what happened on march 14th 2008 so again that night alabama and mississippi state were locked up in a quarterfinal game spot in the semifinals on the line it had been a very uh well-played game intense basketball game down the stretch of the game and this is where it ties into the tornado and you'll hear the guys talking about this later on in the round table. That in the final moments with Mississippi State up by three, the Bulldogs coached by Rick Stansberry, 15 years ago the Crimson Tide coached by Mark Godfrey, that uh, Mississippi State led by three and was trying to foul Alabama in the waning seconds of the game to prevent them from retying the game with a three-point shot. But the end result is they did not get the foul, did not get the foul call, and instead you're going to hear the highlight of how Mikhail Riley – of the Alabama Crimson Tide forced the overtime and then led to the craziness of the tornado in downtown Atlanta, delaying things in that overtime as opposed to the game having been over and Alabama and Mississippi State fans would have more than likely left the arena minutes before the tornado would have come uh, through the area of Centennial Olympic Park, CNN and the Georgia Dome as it did. Uh, So you're going to hear that highlight in a few moments. You're also going to hear from uh, Mark Wise and Dick Gabriel and me, as we called it, on XM Radio, later Sirius XM Radio. The merger had not yet happened until later that year. As we broadcast it on XM Satellite Radio, as well as uh, secsports.com, you'll hear us call. You'll hear my call of the tornado. What we didn't know at the time was a tornado, skipping uh, and and partially damaging the Georgia Dome. Not a full-on hit, not the brunt of a full-force tornado. But you're going to hear the call of that coming up and our aftermath and our description of it as it happened. And I think you'll appreciate that here on The Last Word on Sports Media before the roundtable. So uh, we get into that now. We get into that chronology. Let's go back to that night in 2008 and how regulation ended, as Mark Wise and I called it, Uh, 4XM for SECsports.com with Alabama down by three, needing a heroic uh, moment, and they would end up getting that heroic moment to force overtime.
3: Alabama will inbound at midcourt with two seconds left. The winner moves on to the semifinal. And look who they put on the inbounder. Leonardo. Jemison will inbound. Just two seconds left. Bama must attempt a (laughs) three-point shot. No timeouts left for Alabama, as Jemison will get it in. He does so to Riley. He turns. Three for the tie. Left
4: wing is good,
3: and we go to overtime. Count it.
4: It rattles in for Mikael Riley, and we're going to play five more. Catch and shoot on the wow. inbounds. Riley, 24 feet left baseline. Free throw line extended, I should say. The ball rattled in and out hit the glass and came back in let's play five more
2: so little did we know in that moment that the dramatics and heroics of riley making that last second three-point shot would not be the biggest story and the outcome of the game the biggest story of an overtime game a far bigger story would happen once the overtime commenced and again in the chronology uh, probably about five actual minutes after that shot you just heard overtime got underway and overtime was played for about three minutes of clock time. And as that happened, that's when the tornado was approaching downtown Atlanta. And I I have to tell you, we didn't know. We had not been given forewarning by anybody from the SEC or Georgia Dome officials, but we didn't know there was severe weather in the area. And what's interesting about the highlight you're about to hear, if you turn it up, and I know it's a podcast, you can even skip back and listen. If you turn up my play-by-play call with Mark Wise, on uh, XM Satellite Radio and secsports.com. You can hear the famed roar like a freight train or a train on the train tracks that you always hear described, and you're going to hear our guys on the roundtable talking about that roar and what they remember. You can hear it on our audio broadcast. You'll hear it on this clip. You'll hear it right after the layup is made by the Mississippi State player for a moment. You'll hear it again right as the whistle is blowing for the foul. You'll hear that roar of the tornado. If you turn it up a little bit, it's loud, but you uh, loud overall with me calling it Mark wise talking, but you can hear it with all the sounds in the background. And that's what delayed things. So let's go back to our coverage on March 18th, 2008. It's the 15th anniversary. That's why we're doing it on last word on sports media and the podcast. Let's go back to that night in the overtime, Alabama, Mississippi state SEC tournament overtime in progress. And then as crazy An event, a weather-related event, as you could imagine, unfolded while we were live and broadcasting.
3: And for the Bulldogs, they will bring it up here with a one-point lead. If you've joined us late, what a battle. Here in Atlanta with Alabama, the upstart Crimson Tide, upsetting Florida last night, had a nine-point second-half lead, only to see Mississippi State come from behind to take the lead, and then Bama tied it at the end of regulation on a three at the buzzer by Mikhail Riley. We're in OT with 2.40 to play. Bulldogs to our right. Jamon Gordon in to Ben Hansbrough. Hansbrough on the left wing is covered up, dumps down to Charles Rhodes on the left baseline, put it up and hit the bottom of the board. Ball loose, and Stewart has it for Mississippi State. 12 on the shot clock. He drives down the lane. Scoop shot is good. Big time play there from Stewart to grab the loose ball and lay it in.
4: You mean Coleman did not come over? Richard Hendricks is not in the game.
3: Hollinger front court for Alabama. Right side to G. G is muscled and fouled and will go to the free throw line coming up here. And I'm not sure what's going on here inside the Georgia Dome. The building is shaking around us. A scary situation in the Georgia Dome with the clock stopping here.
4: Yeah, there's rumbling.
3: Yeah, the clock That's has. Not thunder. Stopped and there is rumbling in the building up above us with the game 64-61. And, and people are screaming an for an the exits. And evacuation going I mean, on. Still in downtown Atlanta. Thank you for your vision. All right, there is some kind of situation, a dangerous situation going on. There you is dangerous the- weather over the area. And there are now items falling from the ceiling here. A scary moment as the Georgia Dome shakes from the roof at the top. It is not a hard roof at the top. But the building literally shaking here with 2.11 to go in overtime. And we have delayed things inside of Atlanta. It was almost... As the crowd began to turn and look, it was almost as you looked up. There's an
4: open area. Something has fallen through. Maybe lightning struck. I, I mean, I'm guessing, but there looks like there's a torn part.
3: Again, this is the tarpaulin part of the roof here inside of the Georgia Dome. And there is a thunderstorm, and the PA announcer is making an announcement. The teams have left the floor and gone to the tunnel, and a lot of the people began to evacuate and head for the exits as the building began to shake. So we've got some chaos here in overtime.
4: And there is like confetti coming down. That
3: is part of the roof is what that is. The roof tore open at the far end of the Georgia Dome, back behind where the court is not being used, and it is raining part of the roof now towards the floor where that rip that you identified occurred. Well, we heard a loud pop. I yes. knew something was up. And then rumbling from the outside. And now part of the roof has ripped open and is raining, almost like if a pillow in a pillow fight explodes and you've got feathers and God knows what
4: else. And this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in a basketball game. I I, I don't know if they're going to be able to continue because, as Dick Gabriel points out, you can actually feel yes. the building has gotten colder here in the last
3: minute. Well, the interesting thing here with 2.11 to go in this game, you've got an overtime game here. You've got a late game to follow. You still have some of the temporary lights and uh, structure behind us that are still swaying from the roof shaking. And I'm not so sure that the building may not, and again, we're speculating on severe weather mark-wise, I'm not so sure that the building was not perhaps struck by lightning, and that may
4: have caused what went on with the roof. There is, as we look back behind us, there is one section that, that I don't know that you'd even call it the roof. It's kind of in between the wall and the, and the roof area, the upper deck, that has an opening like somebody has taken a, a can of a uh, a, 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 a Vienna oh, sausage or right. something, you know, and opened it.
3: Well, a scary situation. Let's reset what is going on here. We are in Yeah, the like overtime. this is important. <laughs> we are in the overtime of Mississippi State and Alabama in the SEC tournament here, and at the 2:11 mark, something has occurred. We're not going to speculate as to what it was. Something has occurred involving the building and the roof, and Mark Wise, when I looked behind us, the roof was shaking. Yeah, you could see And the girders around yeah. us were shaking, and people began to evacuate the teams have left the floor, and we've been given no definitive word as to how long we're going to be delayed or if we are going to resume in this situation here in the overtime. You would have to think that safety I, is the first and foremost concern. And right now, there's a lot of people. There's about 20,000 or more people in this arena, and I, a lot of people wondering. I'm wondering what if happened. we
4: should be out of here. Yeah, is what I'm beginning to wonder.
3: And again, as soon as we get official word on what the authorities want to do with evacuating the building. And what the authorities want to do with resuming the game, we'll bring that to you. So we're kind of at the mercy of the SEC officials, the Georgia Dome building officials here in Atlanta. Now, this is my first SEC basketball tournament. You're a veteran (laughs) of this. Welcome to the
4: SEC tournament. I have
3: to believe that this is a first here in the building, and I believe our Dick Gabriel has an update on what's going on. You've got holes in this building
5: there. Oh, to, another to our one, left, yes. Another one beyond, and there's one over on this side as well, we're told, basically ripped open by the weather. Now, here's a point of reference for you. The plan back where we're from in Rupp Arena, in a situation like this, they want folks to stay put because they're actually safer believe it or not other than running making a mad dash for the exits they want people to stay put here people are wondering should they stay or go if you look up on the concourse you've got folks under the harder ceiling but right now they have asked people basically to stay put there's a severe weather alert up on the big boards talking about the severe weather in downtown Atlanta. It
4: says feel free to remain in the Georgia Dome. But a lot of folks, as Mark pointed out, have already left.
3: Well, it is. Dick, a-
4: here's my question to, to you and TJ. As we look at these holes, are we seeing the outside? I'm are not sure. Are we seeing part of the wall? Because all I three saw holes, all three are in the same yeah. between the seating here in the upper deck and what I would consider the roof. So I'm not seeing it's actually the roof.
3: But, a but there's, a there's, an inner,
4: there's an inner curtain there, but I saw a lightning flash through the hole on the far side.
3: All right, Bizarre. Now, what, we should bizarre. Mention, what we should mention, too, is we're in the lower level at one end of the Georgia Dome, what would be the end zone yes. of the football configuration. And what we're talking about is at the opposite diagonal corner of what would be the opposite end zone behind where we are on the basketball court. And, again, guys, when I turned around and looked, The top of the roof was shaking as if something was going to come crashing down. That's when people began to scatter behind us. We don't know if it was a lightning strike or what has occurred. And again, uh, Mark, there are certain partitions, if you will, above the upper deck seating. Those partitions are ripped, and the roof apparently is not ripped open as we look up uh, through the lights on this. And again, all of this stuff
4: is (laughs) just
3: uh, kind of on the fly here. And again, the teams have left the court now some five minutes ago or more in overtime with Mississippi State winning the game. And we continue to talk here while we await what official word might be about when we resume, if we resume.
2: And that's the way that Dick Gabriel and Mark Wise and I called it, and we continue to fill on the air for almost an hour before the game resumed, we did take a couple of commercial breaks, but we continued to wait because you didn't know when are they going to resume this game? You kept hearing us talk about uh, in the coverage, a 10 minute delay. We're waiting uh, 10 minutes. They're going to come out. They're going to warm up that that went on for 20 minutes for 30 minutes uh, with the teams, Rick Stansberry's Mississippi state team, Mark Godfrey's Alabama team back in the locker rooms waiting. They would come back out eventually About 55-0 minutes after the stoppage, they would warm up for a few minutes, get loose. That gave everybody the chance to get back on the air with the Raycom Jefferson Pilot TV broadcast. I'm not sure if they ever left the air in its entirety, but the Alabama Crimson Tide Radio Network, the Mississippi State Bulldog Radio Network, everybody with XM and secsports.com. We had to get back on the air, get ramped up, get ready to go with stations and affiliates and et cetera. So the game would resume and eventually Mississippi State hung on to win the game. Despite Riley's heroics at the end of regulation for Alabama with the May three-pointer, Mississippi State won the game in overtime. So that would set into motion the chain of events of the tournament finishing at Georgia Tech, a- as it would, and eventually the Georgia Bulldogs, with a losing record, won three games in less than 30 hours to go on to the NCAA tournament as the last place team in the SEC. Incredible story. They beat Mississippi State in the delayed uh, semifinal. They they uh, they then proceeded on, uh, did the Bulldogs, after beating Kentucky in the quarterfinal, they beat Mississippi State that same night, that Saturday night, the 15th, in the semifinal, and then beat the Arkansas Razorbacks the next day. But all of that was the next two days. Uh, we're still talking about Friday night, March the 14th, and let's get to our roundtable discussion now, again, with Chris Stewart of the Crimson Tide Sports Network, who is still on the call these 15 years later, with the top seed at Alabama Crimson Tide 2023, as he was 15 years ago. Tim Brando, who was on the call on regional television on Raycom and Jefferson Pilots TV call with Jodine Jr. And Mark Wise and Dick Gabriel back with me in the present day now on The Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Let's go back and relive it all with our roundtable discussion here of that night, the tornado game in the SEC tournament 2008. And as I mentioned, I have the roundtable here. You're hearing not only from the guys that you just heard from on the call on SiriusXM, IMG Radio, and SECSports.com. Mark Wise is now here with me on the roundtable. Dick Gabriel, 15 years later, is here with me on the roundtable. And we have added the other voices. Uh, Chris Stewart, who was on the Alabama Crimson Tide Sports Network call that, that night, and Tim Brando, who was on the call with Joe Dean Jr. on television with Raycom and Jefferson Pilot. We add all of them to the discussion. Here we are 15 years later. Gentlemen, great to have all of you. Chris Stewart, they just heard a lot of, of Mark and Dick and me talking. When you reflect 15 years later, what do you remember about the mayhem in the overtime and, and having to talk our way through an, a real unknown, uncertain situation, Chris.
6: For one thing, I look around this Zoom, and I can tell you this table is a lot rounder than it used to be <laughs> 15 years ago, for one thing, uh, starting with myself. It was, uh, it was amazing because we went from one of the most intense ball games I've ever been a part of at that time of the year and in that setting to all of a sudden we're wondering – you know, in a matter of seconds, wondering what's going on, but we knew it wasn't good to, holy cow, the sky is falling. Literally. I mean, we had bolts falling from, from the roof. And, you know, there are a lot of things you may get prepared for in a broadcasting class when you're a student at the University of Montevallo, but that's not one of them. There was not a course broadcasting live in the middle of a tornado that, that just wasn't covered. So, We improved. we sat on the air and really staying on the air and not running for cover ourselves is probably one of the dumbest things we've all done, (laughs) but we did it. And thankfully we lived to tell about it 15 years later.
2: No doubt. And Mark even said in the comment that we just played, I'm not so sure that we should still be here or not. We also welcome the Tim Brando. Love Timmy B for all these reasons. Uh, He's with us on the 15th anniversary. My God, it's been 15 years, but Timmy still looks the same. I love it. Uh, W- Makeup for men. A, a, a hair hair club for men. Uh, mm-hmm. You still have some. I don't have as much anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. When you reflect, what do you remember? What do you want to say about go- going almost into news mode, as we all had to do, Timmy B?
1: The the message from my mentor, Kurt Gowdy, the great Kurt Gowdy, the American sportsman who is uh, uh, probably some of your listeners are too young to know who exactly I'm talking about, but Googling the real American sportsman, the guy that did the first final fours that we saw on NBC pre Dick Inberg in the mid seventies, when I was um, coming out of high school and going into college, I, I got to meet him and he became my mentor at the 82 final four. And I'll never forget uh, TJ. He said to me, remember kid, about our business they don't pay us for what we do they pay us for what we might have to do and uh extended fills because of weather and and the like i think we've all dealt with that at some point in our lives uh covering either baseball or or football or gosh even auto racing they have some of the longest delays and layovers under the caution <laughs> as any as any sport in in america but but that was a different one because it was a news event. And, uh, you know, you got a you got a tornado coming right down on the top of the Georgia Dome in a very specific area. Uh, we were staying at the Marriott Marquis, by example, and, you know, didn't know when we came out of the place after we finally got through the game and then we were told after the long delay that the Georgia-Kentucky game would not be played. And that was another 45 minutes that we were on the air after uh, Alabama and Mississippi State had come out and completed their game. So it was, a, and by that time, uh, our syndicated broadcast on Raycom and Jefferson Pilot had been picked up live by CNN uh, and, and, uh, and Fox News, too, at that time. So uh, we were, in fact, covering, a as, as Chris mentioned, it was a news event, not a sports event at that point. And uh, I had to immediately go into that role as basically the anchorman of, uh, of, of the coverage of a tornado that had hit the Georgia Dome and was influencing and impacting a, um, you know, a college basketball game that was very important. Um, it, it's a little bit like a lot, an out-of-body experience. You just completely go out of sportscasting mode. Something else that's a hell of a lot more important is taking place. Uh, we had a great – you know, Buzz – Uh, is one of the great uh, sideline ad-lib guys on the planet. And he was our sideline guy for that game. And, um, you know, the outstanding Kentucky broadcaster and uh, had been in a variety of roles at called games and had also been a sideline reporter for us at times on um, the SEC game of the week in football. He was tremendous. He was just working everybody. He was like uh, the annoying uh, flea that just – wouldn't stop bothering either the officials or who's in control of the dome, you know, all that to get the latest. And, and, uh, Joe Dean, who I, is very, I'm very close. I was very close to Joe and we all missed Joe. And, uh, that's another story for another day. But, uh, he was fantastic to adjust the way he did to what I had to do. And, uh, and then just finding out where we were going to go next was, was the whole deal, TJ. It was all right. What's next? Sure. You know, our is Alex Farmartino, is now one of the lead producers on the ACC network and ESPN. He's doing XFL games now. Alex was, um, he grew up that night. He was a very young producer, but <laughs> he grew up that night.
2: No doubt. Dick Gabriel, by the way, and I will publicly acknowledge him here, was our guy, kind of quarterbacking what was going on. I'm talking on and on with Mark Wise. Dick, pick it up. You were finding out information. You were coming back and relaying that to us as we heard in the clip that we just played here on this last word on sports media podcast that we're playing. What do you reflect on uh, in that whole news mode situation that we're all describing? Dick, what what do you remember? What do you reflect on 15 years later?
5: Wearing two hats, you know, being a producer, trying to stay in touch with Sirius XM Radio to find out what do we do? But also running across the floor and, and, and being a pest like Dave was and saying, what do you got? What's going on? And a little inside baseball. We could not sign off on, on satellite radio until we knew what time we were coming back on so they could they could program the computer. So my guys, you guys had to, had to fill as, as Timmy did, as Chris did. And I will say this, I was actually by coincidence at the the Bengals dolphins game, when Tua went down. And so, and I was actually in the Westwood booth just kind of helping the engineer. And I'm listening to Ian Eagle and his partner cover the story. And then the Darvin Ham story breaks and we see how people in our line of work handled that. And I flash back on you guys Mm. and I'm not just throwing smoke here. You guys did a remarkable job of staying calm, of not speculating, which is the worst thing you can do, Mm -hmm. of laying information, of not being shrill, not trying to make it into more than it was, because it was already an incredible story. And to pick up on something Chris said, one of those bolts, which is the size of your fist, (laughs) landed on the table right behind us, about three feet from Mr. T.J. Reeves. Mm -hmm. Buddy, if it had hit you in the head, somebody else is doing this podcast or radio show, or you're eating your meals through a straw. Yeah. Because that was incredible. Lights are swaying, cables are snapping, people are screaming. It was like a bad movie. Yeah. You know, and so uh and I will never forget Mark getting in my ear in our IFB and, and saying to me, Man, it just got cold in here. And mm-hmm. I looked up and said, "This because there's a hole in the ceiling. It did took off from there.
2: It did, it did, and Mark Wise, I'll just bring you in real quick on this same point. Part of the uncertainty was we didn't know if and when they're going to resume the final two minutes of overtime. That's what we right. all kept talking th- to, through on this. Chris on the Alabama broadcast, Tim on TV with Joe Dean Jr. and others, you and I, that at some point they could reemerge from the tunnel, finish the
7: overtime, which they eventually did, but we didn't know that.
2: Uncertainty there, Mark Wise, as part of it.
7: No, we didn't. And one of my, I guess, memories that I will go to my grave with, everybody here will remember the scoreboard was swaying overhead and it wasn't swaying from 1159 to 1201. I mean, it was, it was swaying from 1150 to 1210. I mean, it was a, it was a path going back and forth And then to piggyback off what Tim said earlier, I don't know that I had any appreciation for the damage that was done in the area until we got in the car to go back to the hotel after it all. And you saw the damage, you saw the flooding, you saw, uh, I mean, it it was a, downtown Atlanta was a mess. And I don't think I was prepared for that.
6: How many of you guys thought that, it had been a terrorist attack, or that a plane had hit the building. Did it not,
1: happen immediately, y'all? No, I didn't. It, no. Not, not it, me. I'll tell you why, Chris. Uh, and maybe it was because of our headphones. Uh, maybe if I hadn't had headphones on, I can certainly see why maybe uh, some of the crowd felt that way, mm-hmm. uh, because maybe they didn't hear what I heard. But we've got those headphones on, and we're getting all kinds of great. You know, I'm one of those guys that likes to hear effects. In my ear, if the audio guy says, Tim, mm-hmm. do you want effects?" I always say yes, because two reasons: one, it gives me more energy and enthusiasm to fight through the uh, the noise, uh, and also if I if something's being said on the at the uh, scores table uh, between coaches and or officials, I I want to be able to hear it uh, in real time. Well, in this case, I could hear the freight train sound of a tornado, yeah, and I know. I, uh, we talk about, um, that there is a rule in our business. Don't speculate, uh, but I, I wasted no time saying this is a tornado and we got Dave Baker to make sure to find out from the national weather service that it was in fact a tornado and to what degree it was a tornado. But, uh, you know, I live in Northwest Louisiana, which is in the middle of tornado alley. It's uh, we sometimes miss it, but we've had, you know, just in the last month, we've had, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 tornadoes. And one just recently while I was uh, uh, in Washington, D.C., doing a game a week ago Sunday, came right between my my daughter's house, which is a mile away, and, and our house, Southern Trace. And so we know what those things sound like. We've taken cover. And so I didn't waste much time before I said in the aftermath, you can see the ripple effect. The other reason was you could see the rippling effect in the way the Georgia Dome was constructed, it was almost like watching sheets swirling around, you know, the right. sheets of your bed, you know, mm-hmm. swirling around and and then to hear what we heard, which was in my headphones anyway, the sound of what would be a freight train. Um, I've been hearing those all my life. So I never thought about it being a terrorist attack, but because of the time of it happening, because we were only, you know, eight years removed seven years removed from a terrorist attack, it was certainly understandable that fans would feel that way or someone that maybe didn't have the technology in their ear that I did uh, to make that call. But I, I didn't waste any time making it. And I probably should have waited, but once Buzz found out, yes, the the weather service says this was a, um, was it F2? I'm trying to remember now. F2, F2. Three, what was it, F2? I think it was F2. There were
6: a bunch of Fs coming out of my – I I don't know how many there were. There were a
1: bunch of Fs.
6: And doing the play-by-play, and Alonzo G is driving the baseline, and the whistle blows – or he's on the baseline. And the whistle blows, and I think it was Tony Green. And I see Tony and Alonzo pointing – to the area behind where we all were broadcasting that, that end zone to our left or that, that baseline to our left. And I turn and look and I saw people. The first thing my eyes were drawn to is the people that were running out of the bleachers. Well, the side of town I grew up on, when you see the the bleachers like that, there's a fight. So I'm thinking, all right, first there's a fight. Then I looked up and saw that ripple that Tim was talking about with the roof. And I thought, uh Oh, attack because again now we're we're seven years removed from 9-11 at this point and this is all in, i mean in a matter of a half second second you know whatever it was it wasn't a lengthy process these are just flashes that go through sure. your mind. your i'm thinking bomb and then i thought dear lord it's an airplane and the from airplane about that time i turned and my boss Michael Alford, who was our general manager at the Crimson Tide Sports Network at the time, and now is the athletic director at Florida State, um, he said, we just got hit by a tornado. And that's what I re- relayed to the audience. We just got hit by a tornado. And it was amazing. Tom Stipe, you know, we filled an hour just as you guys were doing. And, and it was Brian passing Tom Stipe, and myself who were doing that. And Tom, our producer, had the the wherewithal to, to get our friend uh, James Spann, who's one of the most recognized meteorologists in the state of Alabama in the southeast, a local meteorologist, but well-respected. known. he got him on the phone, and, and I asked the question. I said, James, did we just get hit by a tornado? And he said, yes, you absolutely did. So we were able, just like Tim was talking about, we went into news mode, which is, um, you know, from a broadcast standpoint, it was a wonderful experience and opportunity from somebody who's sitting underneath all of that roof rippling and bolts falling from the sky. It it was pretty scary. But the one reason that I stayed on the air and and didn't do what instincts were saying, which is just duck under the table and chunk the headset. Um, 15 years ago, I guess it would have been, my father would have been 78 years old. And I know my dad, I knew my dad who's not with us anymore, but I knew dad would be listening. And I knew that as long as I kept talking, dad knew I was okay. And if I ever stopped, he would be as afraid or more so than I was where we were. So I kept talking frankly for him. Yes, it was my job, but I kept talking so that my dad would know I was okay.
2: Wow. I've never heard you tell that part of the story. And that is awesome stuff from Chris Stewart.
7: I kept talking because it's the closest I've ever been to being Jim Cantori.
1: Yes. That's the, that's the only reason I kept on. We,
2: we just kept filling.
1: Well, it, to Chris's point, uh, when the red light comes on, whether it was my radio show uh, or a national broadcast on any one of the throng of networks I've worked for over these last five decades, that red light has always represented the spirit of my father. And uh, and I recommend to all young broadcasters that the, the the when you look into the camera or when you are about to go on the air and look at that microphone, that red light that says on air, um, you want to look at that person as though that is the the love of your life, the person that you care most about. And as a kid, certainly that was my my dad, uh, and now it it represents the spirit of my father. So it's a wonderful thought that he had about his dad and and. What made him think that he needed to keep uh, bumping his chops and making sure that uh, loved ones knew how he uh, was doing? But uh, you know, about twenty to twenty-five minutes into it, I'm not going to lie. I go inside baseball again. your Your phone is is um, your your phone is blowing up. If you still had cell service, and I did for about half of the time, about twenty-five to thirty minutes of the time. I had cell service and I'm hearing from fellow broadcasters, people in our business that are watching in hotels at other conference tournaments. And it's like, uh, you know, in one case uh, I won't divulge the name, but one of the guys that was a broadcaster said to me, you know, holy blank, Tim, you're having an Al Michaels moment, Uh, which, which was something that, that hit me too. You know, because as broadcasters, all of us, I think, have to say he's the standard bearer for how to handle a crisis situation during a broadcast when an earthquake takes place in the middle of the World Series. And because that lived in the Bay Area, he he could they could take shots from choppers and everywhere, and he could tell you exactly what you were looking at. uh, You know, in San Francisco, it had nothing to do with a baseball game. Well that crossed my mind and it, and it stabilized me, uh, to, to not overdo it, to remain sort of the traffic cop for information. Um, uh, one of those bolts that, uh, that you guys were talking about that nearly hit you, that could have been a real problem. Uh, it hit right between, uh, Joe and I, but it wasn't nearly as big. It was like a washer, a couple of washers. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, it's like, okay, what else is going And it was about that time, the guys that still were on camera, the guys that were up top, you know, that were shooting, the main play-by-play cameras, we had to cut them loose because they were in really harm's way with that gondola going back and forth in the scoreboard. So they were released from their, their camera positions very early. But the guys, uh, and you could see that big gaping hole in the top of the Georgia Dome. Uh, I never thought that we would finish the, 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 the Kentucky-Georgia game would ever be played, but the conference office didn't make a decision until we were about 45 minutes past the outcome of the state-Alabama game. Uh, but we still had to fill. Um, the other thing that, that I can't get rid of just thinking about that, that particular moment in time was when we did get out, the question became, okay, what are we going to do now? Uh, absolutely will we come back in the morning or are they going to call Tom Hammond uh, and Larry Connolly in where this there's another game to go in the nighttime session. So Joe and I are, are scheduled to do it. And sure enough, um, when <laughs> people ask me all the time, well, what did you do when you got back to your hotel, that power was out, right? And I'm like, no, once you got past that, that four, sort of four block area, That have all, I mean, it looked like a third world country out there when we left. It did. Mm -hmm. But when you got uh, down further about five or six blocks, right about where the Marriott Marquis is located, and not far from the SEC hotel, which is the Hyatt, which is like right across the street from it, or or actually connected almost, they had power. You would have never known there was an issue. I mean, they were in jocks and jills and the varsity party (laughs) watching this stuff on, cnn and we're thinking uh my god all of atlanta must just be desolate now that was not the case so it was a very isolated you know four to five block area you know around cnn and um and the olympic park and and the georgia dome and uh so i got back to the hotel and people are like okay well you guys know we're we're broadcasting i was let I was told by Jimmy Rayburn, yeah, we, you and Joe will be doing the games. We just don't know where yet or what time yet.
2: And I can identify <laughs> with that if and, I can interject because, Chris, unfortunately Alabama yeah. lost, so you yeah. were done. Right. But Mark and I were told the same way, Tim Brando, by Dick Gabriel, by the IMG right. college officials at that time, wherever this game is being played <laughs> tomorrow, you're doing you're it. Doing and it. it turned out. That was Georgia Tech for all of us, Timmy B. In the middle of the night, it was worked out to be at Georgia Tech. We were in the same boat with you of you're doing the game, right. but we don't even know where the Georgia-Kentucky game is going to be right. played.
1: Well, anyway, so I think I got to bed at about 4 in the morning. The call came at about 8 in the morning. Hey, Tim, we need you at Georgia Tech at 10. <laughs> no, I was. Uh, let's just say that I had a huge, I'm talking huge thermos, of, uh, of good, heavy-duty black coffee uh, <laughs> on, uh, the Alexander Memorial Coliseum the next, uh, next day. Now, I'm really glad that you did this and really happy to have uh, been able to share time with all you guys because um, it is something that we'll never forget. We'll, we'll always be asked, what's the most incredible inf- uh, situation you ever found yourself in on the air? And, and certainly this is the answer to that question. Now, I will say... In 2020, at the Big East tournament, doing mm-hmm. a game at uh, at halftime where we were told, uh, close the record books, we're not playing anymore, uh, as the world shut down, is right up there. But it yep. is not as big as being hit by a tornado, which uh, which we were. So and we survived to tell about it. So it was great. And Mark
2: Wise, I want you to follow up on what Tim Brando was just saying and what I was saying to him. There there was certainty for us that we knew we were working the Georgia-Kentucky game, yeah. the game that was supposed to be played that Friday night, but we just didn't know where it would be. And uh, I think we had a belief it was not going to be in the Georgia Dome, that we were not going to go back there. But what do you, what do you remember? And then it got even crazier when Georgia, with a losing record, won the game with Kentucky on a last second three that we called, and then won three games in like 28 hours to make the NCAA tournament with a losing record. The story became an even crazier story because of what happened at Georgia tech after that
7: in this day and age where coaches are so quick to spew out quick turnarounds. That was the definition of a quick turnaround in terms of Georgia and the way that they played, you know, to, to kind of go back to what Tim was talking about, I I remember we went back to the hotel and I'm going to say by the time we got back to the hotel, it's 1230 ish. And remember, there's supposed to be another game being played that night. And then we're trying to find something to eat. and You can't find anything to eat. So by the time I mean, literally, by the time you get to bed, it's it's two, three o'clock in, in the night. And then we didn't know until the next morning that we were going to Georgia Tech and then you know I'm from Kentucky. We have big families. But if you'll remember they limited the attendance to only the 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 staffs, the players and their families. All I can say is man those Kentucky players had big families. <laughs> because there was more big blue in in at Georgia Tech in that arena than there was any other color. I
2: can relate to the to the audience that's listening to us when we got to Georgia Tech uh, there had to be a couple of thousand Kentucky fans in the parking lot outside the arena. And a fraction of that, probably about three or four hundred, maybe five hundred got in the arena. Um, and it was crazy because they played two games uh, that day with limited fans, kind of what we became used to all of a sudden in 2020, 2021. Right. Uh, and finished the SEC tournament there with Georgia beating Kentucky, beating Mississippi state a few hours later, and then beating Arkansas for the automatic bid uh, with a winning record. All right. So same thing guys. Cause I know, I know both of you along with Dick and with uh, Tim want to give some final thoughts, Chris Stewart, give me a final thought on going through all of this and here we are 15 years later.
6: First of all, how blessed we are that we survived it first and foremost. Uh Part of the, the reason I think we, we all on this have the bond and the friendship that we do is coming out of that experience and seeing it through different eyes, seeing similar stories and differences. Um, but also the fact that, you know, we're just a bunch of knuckleheads who love sports, but I think it, it does from a broadcast standpoint whether you're a coach initially by trade who, who becomes an analyst and suddenly in these situations you're, you're a serious journalist, whether you ever had any aspirations or not. Way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> For all of us. But I think it was a thing that we reflect on probably with as much pride as anything we've ever done in our careers because we feel like we were able to tell the story as accurately in that moment as it could be told. We all had different limitations. We all had different resources. Obviously, Tim and the television crew probably had more, but you you play the hand that you're dealt. And um, we feel like we were able to do as good a job as we possibly could do to tell the story of an amazing situation for our audiences, wherever those audiences happen to be.
2: And I just want to share, too, you were talking about thinking of your father and talking to make sure your father knew you were okay. Mark knows where I'm going with this. My father was with us on a credential and a part of that. And I still remember this, guys, at one point, Mark, you'll remember this, too, and Dick will remember this. He tapped me on the arm about a minute to two minutes into this and kept pointing to that large arm that was holding the TV monitor above us, rocking over the top of us. And that was the first time I had noticed that. Was because dear old dad mm-hmm. was almost saying, we might need to get under the table yeah. here shortly with that. And then yeah. there was another interesting part where as long as we went during the delay of about an hour before they resumed the game, my father disappears and he disappeared Not just to go to a concession stand or go to the restroom. He went up back behind us in the third level where the dome officials, the SEC officials, and other curiosity seekers had gone to go see for himself what went on back behind us to the left at the other end of the Georgia Dome. And he came back and suddenly he was back about 15 minutes later and said, there are gaping holes ripped open at that end of the arena, yeah. and at that point, Mark Wise, you and I began to talk more after yeah. after we had heard from him off the air. We're, how are we going to resume <laughs> this game? How are yeah. we going to finish? How are we going to play the – I just remember that vividly. Where did Grandpa of the Twins go? Okay, now he's back, and he's now on scene reporting. I've been in the third level behind us, and the back part of the building is ripped open near the roof. And what, what are we going to do? Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing what we reflect on. Mark, I don't know how much of that you remember, but we talked for a while oh, I with remember. what information we had, and then they yeah. resumed the game,
7: guys. Yeah, they resumed I, the game. I think I was a little surprised that they ended up finishing the game. And the coach in me comes out because, you know, it, that night, that game has become the tornado game, uh, much like the when Tim was referencing Al Michaels, That that's no longer that World Series, that's the earthquake series. Right. What gets lost in the shuffle of all this, and again, this is the coach coming out of me, is what a great game the Alabama Mississippi State game was. And Chris, you alluded to this much earlier. But I mean, we got guys making big time shots, big time plays. There's there's not a lot of separation, the entire second half going into the overtime. I mean the, the the play was just simply fabulous, and sadly that's gotten lost in the shuffle of this whole story.
1: Yep. And,
6: and if I could add, the fact that you said earlier also the the miracle that no one was killed. And yes. please correct me if I'm wrong. Nobody was killed in this, right? Nobody correct. around the dome. Correct. Amazing. That would not have been the case if Mikhail Riley doesn't make that shot, right. because thousands would have been exiting the building. And what became overtime when the storm actually hit, there would have been thousands of people outside in that moment. And I, I find it very difficult to believe that that there wouldn't have been at least a fatality in the midst of that, if Mikhail doesn't make the shot. And
2: and we played that highlight, and that's that's what spawned the SEC documentary that they have done that's still out there. You can find it on ESPN Mm -hmm. Plus and find it on the internet, Miracle 3, because it has such a double meaning. It was a great shot to force the overtime, but it's a miracle that nobody was seriously hurt leaving the Georgia Dome because the game played on into overtime, and the big building was safer than being outside of the building. What an experience uh, that that we have gone through, that we have lived through uh, on this. Dick Gabriel, give me a final thought and reflection on looking back on this 15 years later.
5: I just think about how lucky we all were that there weren't more injuries, fatalities. as, As You all said the damage. When my son and I walked back to the hotel, saw a car, the tornado had bounced off a building, showered a car with bricks and covered it up to the windshield. Imagine coming to get in your car and it's covered yeah. with bricks. So the fact that there weren't more injuries, I'm so thankful, uh, but thankful that, you know, you guys were up to that, up to the task that night. And it's kind of bonded us. I mean, we've all remained friends through the years. So <laughs> yes, when, when you go through a situation <laughs> like that, You know, it's something you never forget. You
2: can't get rid of me, baby. I keep finding (laughs) you around the anniversary. You cannot get rid of me.
5: Yeah, Uh, and then getting the
2: call the next
5: morning at 5 a.m. We're playing at Georgia Tech and calling my engineer and moving everything. Oh, boy. An experience we'll never forget.
2: Gentlemen, thank you. You guys all did tremendous with me. I, I appreciate all of you, Chris Stewart, Dick Gabriel, Tim Brando, Mark Wise. Fantastic reminiscing on this. 15 years on from March the 14th, 2008, and we're all around to still be talking about it, so I was thrilled to to have this. Chris, thank you.
6: My pleasure. Thank you.
2: Mark Wise, tremendous stuff. I I have always pledged to you that if there's ever bad weather again, you and I will do something (laughs) else
1: besides doing a game, but thank you for
2: hanging with me and reminiscing about 15 years ago.
7: Thanks for letting me be a part of it.
2: And there you go. The conversation with the different broadcasters, Chris Stewart, Tim Brando, Mark Wise, Dick Gabriel, all with me, all on three separate calls of the same thing. The night of the tornado that uh, skimmed right off the Georgia Dome through downtown Atlanta and delayed the SEC tournament quarterfinal game between Alabama and Mississippi State for almost an hour before it finally resumed in overtime and finished. And then we finished the rest of the tournament. In uh, in a Georgia Techs facility, a few miles away, what's now McCamish Pavilion on the Georgia Tech campus, their basketball ar- arena, the former Thriller Dome, as they called it, uh, Alexander Memorial Coliseum. So uh, Kentucky ends up winning those three games in 30 hours and making the SEC tournament. I mean, it was just incredible, incredible the whole thing. If the SEC officials, their staff, the Georgia Tech officials got the building open, got the tournament underway again on Saturday, limited fans, as we were describing. And Georgia knocks off Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Arkansas on Selection Sunday to get the automatic bid with a losing record to go into the NCAA tournament. Sunday out of Gaines and company. Uh, Tremendous, tremendous story out of that uh, tornado delay and everything that happened overnight. Hopefully uh, uh, you enjoyed that. Hopefully you enjoyed our roundtable conversation with that. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Uh, then something like this on the last word on sports media from those guys that were all on the call. And again, the, la- the late Jack Crystal was also on the call. The longtime 40-year-plus voice uh, voice of Mississippi State who died some years ago. He and Jim Ellis were on the call that night in the SEC tournament. Uh, amazing to go back and to relive that. So hopefully you did enjoy that and that part of the conversation uh, here is a special part of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. So, now let's get into the home stretch here of things uh, on this edition. And actually, let's go back to a conversation that George Offman, the, the podcast before this, had with Greg Gumbel. Again, Greg will be seen throughout uh, this uh, 2023 NCAA tournament for yet another season. He's been doing this now for over 25 years as part of CBS's live coverage. It's interesting. Greg was on the play by play calls in the 1990s when Jim Nance was the studio host and eventually Jim Nance became the play-by-play lead voice with Billy Packer in the 1990s after Brent Musburger was gone. Jim Nance though, uh, in the late eighties, the early nineties was the studio host. Uh, Well, Greg Gumbel eventually took over that studio hosting role once um, Brent Musburger was gone and, and now became the studio host for the last 25 plus years on CBS and the Turner fleet of stations. What's now Warner discovery, Turner uh, TNT, TBS, and True TV. you see Greg all over that coverage. So George Offman asked him about what those first two days are like, 16 games on Thursday and Friday, and what it's like to broadcast those. This is Greg Gumble in his own words off George's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast.
8: Those first two days of the tournament are absolute murder. Mm. Uh, 16 games on Thursday, 16 games on Friday. The last game finishes up usually at about 1 a.m., 1.30 in the morning. And then you have to be back in at 7.30 the next morning in order to be able to do production meetings, uh, do voiceovers, uh, rehearsal, uh, do research, makeup, all of those things to get you set for, for, for the noon starting time. And then you do the same thing again. 16 different teams. It's the same thing like in football. I tell people, you, know, you, you go all week long making up these boards to do a football game, and you say, well, why so much study? because number 88 last week is not the same as number 88 this week, you know? And and those things change. Uh, Pronunciations are important to me. Uh, There's been a lifetime of people maybe not completely mispronouncing my name, but distorting it a little bit from time to time. And uh, and I never want to do that to an athlete. Uh, If I ever mispronounce an athlete's name, number one, I hear it from his family. Number two, I hear it from the school or the team. And, and number three, I apologize for it as soon as I can because I don't think that's that that's that's something light or should be taken for granted.
2: Very interestingly, uh, George uh, also found out from Greg Gumble what it was like back in 1990. Greg had worked the NCAA tournament as a play-by-play man with Quinn Buckner. Remember, that was the magical run of Loyola Marymount after the death of their uh, fallen teammate, Hank Gathers, from a heart attack. From cardiac arrest during their conference tournament, Loyola Marymount magically went on a run all the way to the Elite Eight, won two dramatic uh, early games, uh, playing with such emotion, uh, really wiped out both New Mexico State and the defending champion Michigan in the Long Beach Arena in the first two rounds. Greg Gumble and Quinn Buckner were on the call in 1990, uh, and, and Greg was a play-by-play guy at that point when Brent Musburger could not reach a new contract with CBS and his deal expired at the final four. So his last broadcast was UNLV's blowout win of Duke to win the national title. And so here was Greg Gumbel going back to 1990. Now 33 years ago, uh, remembering what it was like to be around a CBS legend, Brent Musburger after Musburger was announcing, I- I'm no longer going to be here at CBS. Greg Gumbel in his own words off George's podcast.
8: And when I heard about it, you know, I I saw Brent and I went over and I started to say something and I opened my mouth and nothing came up. And he looked at me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, we sat down and he says, listen, you're going to be fine. And he said, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. But see, I had known Brent from our days in Chicago. So it wasn't, you know, he was at channel two when I started at channel five. Yes. So this, so this wasn't, so this wasn't uh, uh, two strangers talking. We had known each other, and um, and and it was a little bit overwhelming at times to be able to, to to step into the shoes of someone who basically made pregame television.
2: Again, that's part of the "Tell Me a Story I Don't Know" podcast series. Immediately following this podcast, you'll hear part two with Greg Gumbel in its entirety. He talks more about being with Charles Barkley about Northwestern, his alma mater, getting into the NCAA tournament not once, but they're back in the field now. So uh, George has all of that with Greg Gumble in the podcast preceding this one. Tell me a story I don't know does a fantastic job with local regional members of the Chicago sports media, but he branches it out to national members of the media as well. Uh, for example, Jason Benetti is coming up on a future podcast here. Chicago ties as the White Sox broadcaster, but you've seen him, you've seen him nationally on ESPN. You see him nationally now on Fox's coverage of uh, of college football college basketball and major league baseball so you'll hear from jason bonetti with george as well uh recently had joe madden the former cubs manager leading them to a world series championship and you can go back in his archive george has had the likes of bob costas michael wilbon kevin harlan kenny albert uh, on and on down the list uh, uh national national people as well as chicago legends like mike north the sports radio legend dan Rohn, the wgn tv legend on and on down the list. Great stuff. Tell me a story I don't know. Search search that out on this podcast feed. Last word on sports uh, media. All right, let's get to it. Let's wrap it up. Love it or leave it. Speaking of Greg Gumbel and that selection show, it won the weekend with over 5 million viewers. It was the most watched sporting event of the weekend. Uh, and it wasn't even a live game with he and Clark Kellogg and Seth Davis and Jay Wright on the studio set there and of course charles barkley and kenny smith will be by later on in the studio coverage as well on cbs for this week for thursday and friday but the selection show getting five million outranked anything else including the players championship uh final round uh on nbc the tournament eventually won by scotty scheffler who seems to be winning everything in professional golf for the players championship golf uh that was on nbc's broadcast the big 10 broadcast by the way was the highest rated game of the uh, of the weekend besides the golf in basketball in college basketball or the NBA as it outdid any of the uh, Saturday night ABC primetime NBA or the Sunday night NBC or uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the ABC primetime or the Sunday night ESPN broadcast of NBA basketball. The uh, uh, Penn State versus Purdue matchup had right around a little over 3.1 million viewers leading into the selection show. And again, the charm of the selection show is you don't know who the teams are in the tournament. There's drama, there's surprise, suspense, and so that's why the audience builds for that. Uh, again, it was kind of interesting that uh, the Duke... A win in the ACC championship game over Virginia was the next highest rated broadcast, but also in there, the Big 12 with Texas's upset of Kansas. Both of those broadcasts getting just over 2 million people uh, to watch the Pac-12 win by Arizona late night over UCLA had close to 2 million watching as well, just under it. So college basketball's ratings, though, will double and triple on Thursday and Friday. Those primetime games will easily get to 5 million, 7 million or more in primetime on CBS and the cable networks. We'll watch for those for later on in the week. Love it or leave it. I don't know how many of you have paid attention to this so far in spring training with all the coverage of spring training baseball. Now, obviously, March Madness is still overwhelming uh, spring training baseball games that don't matter. But all of the different nuances that Major League Baseball is still going to include, where they're they're now banning the shift, uh, having to have a certain number of players on the infield, uh, certain counts where you cannot change the defense after a certain count, uh, they're all they're doing this all in the name of trying to save time. That's what the pitch clock is for, for the pitcher to be ready up on the rubber on the mound, for the batter to be in the batter's box. Uh, they're they're trying to expedite extra innings again with the ridiculous kind of like beer league or church league softball rules of, of put the runner on second base to start an extra inning to speed things up. Uh, to me, it's gone too far. It's too much in trying to speed the game up. I mean, certainly they're going to an extreme with the pitch clock to get it going, but you should be able to play defense how you want to play defense. And if you can, if you can get your position players in place in time for the pitch to be made, you should be able to move them around within that 30 seconds to pitch the ball. So I don't understand what the complication is with that. Now they're implementing some of this, I believe, for next year. I mean, only Major League Baseball can confuse things. They they pass rules and legislation and say, yeah, but it's not for this season; it's for a year from now. So why did we have to pass it for this calendar year? I don't or last year. I don't understand that. But some of this, in the name of speeding the game up, has become ridiculous. I mean, would you tell an NBA team you can't full court press? Would you tell? Uh, an NFL team, you can't play six defensive backs or you can't blitz. A college a college football team, hey, uh, you you can't run the spread offense and throw the ball 50 times a game, stopping the clock. I mean, there you're getting into the actual execution of the game, the semantics of how the game is played. So the defensive shifts, I think as long as you can do it within the 30 seconds of the pitch clock, you should be doing it on being allowed to do it on every pitch. And if you can't get set up and the pitch has to be made, then too bad. Too bad if you're out of position while that's going on and you're trying to shift around. Just didn't understand that part. All right. One more. Love it or leave it. You know, we mentioned earlier in the roundtable conversation, that miracle three documentary that is on ESPN plus you can search it. It's about the tornado game, Alabama, Mississippi state, March the 14th, 2008. Uh, But there, there are a fleet of documentaries. I've recently watched, In recent weeks, the Nolan Ryan documentary that is out there uh, chronicling his Hall of Fame career, The Express, all of those great uh, moments, uh, no hitters for him, uh, amazing career of Nolan Ryan and what he meant to the game, and as far as strikeouts and and things that seemingly are going to just be untouchable in the baseball record book for, for 20 years after his career, 50 years after his career or more. In terms of strikeouts in particular, that that Nolan Ryan documentary is outstanding. I have not checked out the PGA Tour documentary that was out on Netflix. Gotta see that, including that Mikhail Riley Miracle Three, as it's called, to go back and relive the tornado game one more. I love, I love going back into the nostalgia and analyzing these and all those great moments. And now now that 1990 NCAA tournament that had so many stories, including the Loyal Marymount team that we mentioned, Jerry Tarkanian's UNLV, squashing Duke to win the title, Brent Musburger's last Final Four. I know we talked about that a few weeks ago on this podcast with Brian Curtis from the last word on sports media podcast conversation with him, Brian Curtis of The Ringer and their Press Box podcast, that when Brent Musburger got let go by CBS, and they didn't just outright fire him, they didn't renew his deal. They couldn't come to a contract agreement. So that was it at the end of the Final Four. But as Brian Curtis pointed out, this was such a big deal that in terms of newspapers, and I know a lot of people don't know what a newspaper is in the present day and don't have it uh, for the coverage, it, it was getting more play than the fall of communism in April of 1990 on the front page of a paper, National News, that Musburger is out at CBS. That 1990 tournament had all kinds uh, of crazy different storylines, Uh, including uh, last-second finishes. Uh, Duke uh, had a last-second shot by Christian Leitner in that Final Four to beat uh, UConn. UConn had won their Sweet 16 game on a length-of-the-floor pass to Tate George, a turnaround jumper to win it. And then UConn loses two days later to Christian Leitner's last-second shot. Leitner inbounds, gets the give-and-go, and and makes the winning shot for Duke to go to the Final Four and eventually lose to UNLV. And, of course, Leitner famously two years later hits the last-second shot on the the link-to-the-court pass from Grant Hill that you've seen so many times. So many moments, buzzer beaters in this tournament. But that 1990 tournament had a lot of crazy stuff in it with last-second finishes, Loyola Marymount, the UNLV blowout of Duke, and their ascension with uh, with so many great NBA-talented players like Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, Greg Anthony, Anderson Hunt, they were all drafted in the first round of the NBA draft off that UNLV team, and that was it for Brent Musburger calling the games with Billy Packer for a few years. Jim Nance would then start an over-25-year relationship with Billy Packer calling the NCAA tournament with Greg Gumbel in the studio uh, there starting uh, after 1990. All right, so there you go. Some love it or leave it to conclude things. Again, many thanks To Mark Wise, Dick Gabriel, Chris Stewart, and Tim Brando on the roundtable conversation. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did bringing it to you on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast, the roundtable about the Tornado SEC tournament game, Alabama and Mississippi State. Love that to go back and relive that as many times as we can. For now, though, we are good for everything that has unfolded and transpired on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Uh, that will do it again announcer schedules podcast is coming later in the week i'll fill in for mike gill who's on vacation on that uh uh, phil demont mullen and i will go over announcer schedules and all the ncaa tournament coverage uh, that's coming from cbs and the cable networks of tnt tbs and true tv as well as westwood one's national coverage as well all the other announcers who are doing it well in all other sports nba nhl the golf anything else that's happening baseball starting it up we talk about it on announcer schedules and it's on this podcast feed follow or subscribe to get all the content Georges, tell me a story i don't know announcer schedules podcast and this podcast last word on sports media podcast you get all of these through the Last Word on Sports.com podcast section. Go there and find us out. So, follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Just put in Last Word on Sports Media, and this podcast feed will come up and you'll get all the great content. For now, we're good. I'm merely TJ Reeves. I'll talk to you later in the week with Phil DeMont-Mullen on the Announcer Schedules podcast, filling in for Mike Gill. Enjoy all of our content. You've been with us
6: on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast.